Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. And while you're being seated, I would ask you, if you would, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the Scripture. And uh, I've got a little good news for you today, at least it was good news for me. My favorite book, actually one of of my favorite books, um, is being turned into a movie. I I say that, and you expect me to give the answer of, oh, my favorite book is the Bible, right? It is, but it's already been made into a movie. So my other favorite book is being turned into a movie. It's called The Boys in the Boat. And if you've not read this book, let it be the next thing you read. It's about the 1936 rowing team from the University of Washington. They surprised the world, not only American rowing, but also surprised the world by winning gold in the 1936 Olympics, beating the Germans by a foot and a half right under the nose of Adolf Hitler. It's a fantastic book and a fantastic finish. So a little bit about rowing and the eight-man shell event that they were in. First of all, there are nine men in the rowing. The first one, uh, by the way, just some scale here, Uh, a shell for eight-man rowing is 62 feet long. That stretches about two feet beyond that end of the stage and two feet beyond that end of the stage. It's, It's incredibly long. In the front sits the coxswain. And he is the weakest physically of all the people in the boat, but he bosses everyone else around. I love that, okay? So he's the one, he's the brains in the outfit, right? And so then in front of him, he has eight men who are rowing, okay? Now these first two in the stern, this is the stern pair. Now they're facing this way, but that's the bow because that's the way the boat is going. So the stern pair is the stroke pair. They listen to the instructions of the coxswain And it's their job to keep the rhythm to either row at 32 beats a minute or 41 beats a minute. They take his commands, they translate it into a rhythm, and then they communicate that back by the way they're rowing. So you have the stern, the stroke pair. Then the next four guys, number three, four, five, and six, these are the biggest guys in the boat, okay? They're, they're taller, they're more muscular, they're, well, just look at me. They're brawny. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Yeah. So these four guys, they're called the engine room because this is where the real power is produced. Then the last two guys, the bow pair, they serve as balance because while this boat is 62 feet long, get this, it is only 24 inches wide and a very low draft with three quarters of a ton of flesh, muscle, wood, and metal in this boat. So it's their job to keep everything on balance. Here's here's the picture I want you to see. Everyone in the boat is doing the same thing, only differently. They're all rowing, but the subtleties of what they do is different. In fact, Daniel James Brown, who wrote the book, The Boys in the Boat, he says this. He says, races aren't won by clones, they're won by crews. Everyone does the same thing, only differently. That's a really good picture of the church, that we are all called to follow Jesus. We all are called to glorify God in what we do. 
We are all called to have the Holy Spirit take up residence in us. We all do the same thing, only we're going to do it a little bit differently. God wants Christ followers that will each follow him individually and collectively, but not clones. So we have this in the church, as in a boat, we have this unity of purpose, but this diversity of execution. So that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's going to talk to us about the church. And in the New Testament, he uses three metaphors, three images of the church, each for a different reason. He talks about the church being um, a temple of God. So that is meant to drive home the fact that God's Spirit dwells in us and among us. He talks about the church being the bride of Christ. He uses that image so we can understand intimacy. But then, instead of talking about a boat, Paul uses the image of a body. And the same thing there, that parts of a body have a unity of purpose, but a diversity of the way they execute their particular part, their particular role. One thing I almost forgot to do before we jump into the text of 1 Corinthians 12, would you look at the three lines of the creed that we're looking at today? The Apostles' Creed, it's the New Testament and 100 words. There's probably no three lines that cause as much difficulty as these three lines, because there's a lot of very interesting words in here. Okay, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then right after that, we'll talk about why the church is placed under the Holy Spirit in the creed. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. There's a lot of big words in there. Let's start with the word holy. There's two ways to be holy. One is to be perfect. The other is to be forgiven. Friends, there's only one person in this category that's holy. That's God and not you and me. We are holy by virtue of being forgiven. Now, here's probably the most challenging thing I'm going to say today, so listen to this carefully. It is biblical that we would welcome anyone into the church. Anyone is welcome. Please hear me on that. Please nod with me if you're following me so far. Okay. Some of you are not nodding. That's okay. Everyone is welcome in the church. That is biblical. But it's not biblical to lower the moral standard of the church so that everyone feels welcome. Now, please hear me, okay? Everyone is welcome. You've heard that. That's biblical. But to lower the moral standard of a church so that everyone feels welcome is not biblical, and here's why. Because making people feel welcome is not the goal of the church. It's helping people know they are forgiven to find forgiveness. That's the goal of the church. And listen, I don't know about how it was with you, but when I'm dealing with sin in my life, it's uncomfortable, okay? It's a challenge. It's, sometimes it hurts, right? And so the goal of the church is not to make people feel welcome. It's to help people find forgiveness. And because of that, we become holy. So we believe in the holy Catholic church. So this word has caused more heartache as we rolled this out a few weeks ago, got a lot of notes, a lot of conversations about this, and when we, we have this on our website under what we believe because we read Catholic and we hear Roman Catholic, okay? The next time you're not sure what a word means, let me give you some real deep spiritual advice. Look it up. <laughs> if you don't know what a word means, 
Look it up. Now, it's not capital C. That's, that's a denomination, Roman Catholic, but the word Catholic means universal. And so when we say we believe in the holy Catholic church, what we're saying is every Christian everywhere. That's what we're talking about. And we believe despite our denominational labels, we have Baptist and Methodist and Roman Catholics and Presbyterians, really there is only one church that everyone who calls Jesus Lord, every Christian everywhere makes up one church, okay? So take that. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't let that word cause you heartache. I meant that to be funny, and I will not say that again, so yeah, it wasn't funny at all. And then I believe in the communion of saints. So that's, that's another word that um, gives people a little heartache. Here's all a saint is. A saint is a person who makes goodness look attractive. If you've ever known anyone that they know just enough Scripture to be irritating, that's not a saint, okay? Do you know people like that? They know just enough Scripture to be irritating and not enough to be transformed. We are called as followers of Jesus to make good look good because it is. But the real word here is church. Listen. Church is just the plural of Christian. Christian is the way I say I. Church is a way I say we, okay? So in light of that, Paul doesn't talk about a boat. He talks about a body. He starts this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit. Now, this is Twice in this paragraph, Paul will mention spirit. Pay attention to that. We are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, whether in China or Russia or Ukraine or Palestine or Israel. All were given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. So why does Paul here talk about the Spirit twice in this opening paragraph of this thought? Because I have a body, but if my spirit leaves my body, you're left with a corpse. Okay? We are not the corpse of Christ. We are the body of Christ, meaning that God's Spirit not only dwells in us individually, but dwells among us corporately. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have life. Okay? So what Paul does next... He says, you are, you are the body. You are a body. He's going to do two things. Number one, he's going to encourage the lowly. Okay, those people who, and you might be in this category this morning, I don't have very many gifts, and the ones I have aren't very good. In fact, I don't even know if I have any gifts. I don't know if I benefit the body of Christ in any way. Paul encourages the lowly. So listen up. Verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, well, that wouldn't be a body. That'd be a monster, wouldn't it? That's, Paul didn't write that. I added that in. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted. So, 
For those of you who feel like your gifts are lowly, let me, like Paul, encourage you for a few moments. I started meditating this week on some of the lowly folks in our church from the past. Right here for years and years sat Nancy Smith. Nancy Smith sat here in our first service, and every morning when we'd come in with our little kids in tow, she would be here with a smile. We sat by her probably for the first eight, nine, ten years of ministry, right, here, always encouraging to us. What she would always often do, because we were kind of young and starting out and struggling, she would often take a $20 bill and put it in my wife's hand and say, go out to Jason's Deli after church today. When Nancy passed away, there weren't very many of us at her memorial service, but those of us who were there, every one of us to a person, she had quietly and consistently encouraged. Then sitting back over here, about where Tom is sitting right here, said a lady for years and years, does anybody remember Lois Harris here in the church? Lois Harris, her, her job was to encourage people in writing, but here's the deal. She didn't want to use email. She used, have you heard of these ancient machines called typewriters? In fact, I remember my first year here, her typewriter finally gave up the ghost, and we helped her find and buy a new typewriter on eBay and set her up. And I've got notes in my office to this day that she pounded out on that typewriter, notes of encouragement. That was her gift. I think up here, about where Angie's sitting, a man named Doug Choate sat up here for years and years. When Doug died, and I was privileged to be at his home the last time they took him out, after Doug died, we knew that he did a lot in the church, but then come to find out after he died, we discovered so many things that he was doing that no one else knew he was doing. Listen, God has given every person a gift and we'll get to the big gifts here in just a minute, but actually I think those small gifts are more important because they require faithfulness and quietness. God designed it that way. We need one another. So, so what happens? You say, well, if I don't have this big, big gift, I might not be a big deal. You're right, you might not be by human standards, but by God's evaluation, God designed the body this way. He designed you this way, and you are needed. Then Paul goes on. He just doesn't encourage those who are lowly. He also admonishes the elite. So if you've got one of the big gifts like teaching, leadership, you're a director, you're in charge of things around here, listen up. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And by the way, that phrase, I don't need you, will be used twice here. Watch when Scripture repeats, okay? So the eye can literally look down on the hand. I don't need you. Uh, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. So it's easy for the, the eye to look at the hand and go, yeah, I, I don't need you. Uh, excuse me, I, I think I messed this up here a little bit. The hand can't look at the foot and go, I don't need you. The foot can say, well, the hand is so much more dexterous. The hand can do so many other things. Yeah, but the hand can't do everything a foot can do. Or it's easy for the eye to look at the ear and say, I don't need you. The, the, the ear can easily look at the eye and go, well, the eye is just so much more romantic than I am. And, and it is. 
When you're young and in love, do you remember this? Please tell me you remember young and being in love. Okay. So, what did you do when you were really in love with somebody? You said, let me just look into your eyes for a little bit, you know. I would love to travel back in time to when Paula and I were young and in love, just to try this out, to say, Paula, I'm so much in love with you. May I just stare in your ear for a little bit? I would, <laughs> I would really love to do that right now. Listen, if a guy says that to you, young ladies, let me stare in your ear, dump him right then. <laughs> Don't even wait for him to drive you home, Uber home, dump him, right? Because the eyes are so much more romantic. Well, that's right. But if the entire body were eyes, where would the sense of, of hearing be? So twice here in this passage, Paul admonishes us to not say, I don't need you. So when people ask how the church is going these days, and not just our church, but the church in general, the Catholic church, the church universal, it's been a tough question to answer. But I stumbled across a line by a writer who, who says this, the very set of circumstances that has the world turning toward God has people in the church turning away from God. I'll repeat that here in just a minute, but there are a unique set of circumstances going on right now. Pandemics, all the political polarization, all the pressures in our society, and those very set of circumstances that are drawing people to God from the world is causing people in the church to move away from God. That people out in the world are saying, there's got to be more to life than this. I need something more than what I have. And so they come seeking God. And people in the church, quite honestly, go, it's easier to watch the computer at home. And we kind of move away from God. We, we say, you know, my, my church doesn't believe exactly the way I do on every fine point. Yeah, you're right, it doesn't. But we use those as excuses to move away. Listen, we should not say, and this is Paul saying this, not me, I don't need you. We can't say that. Why? Look down in verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Why do we need each other? Because we live between pain and peace. There's going to be pain, we share that. There's going to be peace, we share that as well. Do you know that sea otters, when they sleep at night, they hold hands? Why? Because if they're not careful while they're sleeping, they may drift apart. Do you know that dolphins, when they sleep, they swim in a circle, and they're able to have half of their brain asleep at a time. Boy, do I know that talking to people in a church. Sometimes I look out, and it looks like our brains are, are half asleep, right? But they have one half of their brain asleep. The other half is awake with an eye open looking for predators. Why do we need each other? To make sure we don't drift. Why do we need each other? Because there's real danger in the world. We can't say, I don't need you. So here's where Paul kind of drops the bomb. And I imagine the first readers, when they read this part, they gasped a little bit. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. Before he was just talking about a generic body, but now he says, you're the body of Christ. 
And I know I've used this story before, but after the Second World War, when German students came over to England to help rebuild what their older brothers and their fathers had destroyed, they were rebuilding an ancient cathedral. They found a statue of Christ. They propped it up. They found all the parts and were able to put it back together except for the hands. And so instead of recasting the hands, they added an inscription at the base of that statue that said, Christ now has no hands but ours. Listen, we are the body of Christ. We are His feet to go where He tells us to go. We are His hands to serve where He tells us to serve. We are His eyes to see injustice and to deal with it. We are His ears to hear the cries of the vulnerable and answer them in mercy and ministry. Christ now has no body but ours. So, one of the words I hold of most importance, and here's where we're getting to the application part, one of the words I hold most important when it comes to the church is the word unity. In fact, for me, there are, are very few values that are higher than that because unity is something God commands, not only here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but throughout the Scripture, especially if you want to cross-reference Ephesians 4.3, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. God commands unity. A personal note, you talk to just about any pastor, here's what they're probably going to tell you. They spend a majority of their time right now trying to smooth the waters of disagreement. I want you to hear me. This is not moaning and this is not feeling sorry. This is just reality. That pastors spend a lot of time because everything is an argument in our culture. Everything's an issue in our culture. Everything is all of a sudden urgent. And if you're not doing this and doing this, there's all kinds of disagreements. We have a decision to make. Do we want to spend our time and you want your pastors to spend the time always trying to smooth the waters of disagreement or stir the waters of baptism. Which do we really want to see? It can't be both. There's only enough time and energy for one or the other. Do we want to spend our time in conflict or do we want to spend our time following Christ? God commands unity. Had a person after the first service go, I want to help address this. What do I, what can I do for you? And I go, well, it's not what you're doing for me. It's what we do for the church. If somebody raises a hubbub about something that's a secondary issue, and there are all kinds of secondary issues floating around, what I would ask is this. Look them in the eye and say, let's keep the main thing the main thing. It's as simple as that. Our main thing is the gospel the good news of what God has done to restore our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And if it's not about that, let it go. Okay. Let me say that again. If it's not about that, let it go. Okay, that's a little bit better. I'll, ta I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. Dolphins, half a brain asleep, other half awake, right? It, it, God commands it. And, and by the way, if there are enough issues, well, I can't believe I'm about to say this, if there are enough issues that have distracted you here, find another church. I mean, find a church that you say those, those issues aren't such a big deal, and then focus on Christ. But here's the deal. Any church you go to, there's going to be something you don't like, and it's going to be a matter of focus. can't believe I just told people to find another church. That's weird. Take that. Okay, here we go. 
God commands. The world needs a unified church. And I, I was at a conference a couple of months ago, and the speaker said this 20 times, and it wasn't until about time 19 that I finally, I finally caught it. And it was a quote by Kerry Newhoff, and it says this, a divided world needs a united church. A divided world needs a united church. A divided world needs a united church. When I heard this story in seminary, I couldn't believe how dull some people could be. While the Bolshevik Revolution was happening in Russia, the Russian Orthodox Church, the leaders were fighting about what color robes to wear at certain times of the year in their liturgy. And I thought, how dumb can you be? But let's look around. Right now, there's all these issues going on, and sometimes we get into these conflicts with ourselves when now more than ever the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. A divided world needs a united church. God commands it. The world needs it. And you and I, we should work for it. Unity is not something we should take for granted. Why? Because we're all in the same boat together. See how I brought it back there to the beginning? All right, so I want to I want to draw you a, a quick picture as we kind of wrap this up today, and uh, this is about as low tech as you can get. But in honor of Lois Harris working on her typewriter so many years ago, I'm just going to do a little drawing on the board. Uh, Dorothea of Gaza. She was a what's called a desert mother. She lived about 300 years before, excuse me, 300 years after Jesus. She thought of this while working and living in the desert, serving the poor. Yeah, the guys, can we just get the center camera shot right on the whiteboard, please? Let's get camera. Jeff, what camera is that? Two. two. Let's get camera number two on the, on the board looking straight ahead. Thanks, guys. There's a lot of guys working behind the scenes in the booth. I'd like it to be an inch more to the right. I'm just kidding. All right, listen. <laughs> I'm also a, protect, a perfectionist and a control freak. What are the... <laughs> so much I want to say right now. I'm not going to. We're going to focus on… See, that's what I'm talking about, people causing problems in the church. <laughs> guys in the sound booth, Steve and all you guys, I really do appreciate you. So uh, Dorothea of Gaza, she wanted to present a worldview. And it's interesting. I know she lived, gosh, 1,700 years ago, but man, what she said could practically have been said yesterday. That's not too bad. She said, here's the world. First thing about a worldview is we think that God's out here somewhere. He's, he's out here in heaven and eternity, and He is. But God, for as long as He's revealed Himself, has always been moving into the world. With His people in the Exodus, He wanted to be there among them in the tabernacle. When His people settled in Israel, He wanted to be in the temple in Jerusalem. When He came in Jesus, God moves right here into the center of the world. So first thing about a worldview is he's not out here, he's right in the middle of things. Then Dorothea of Gaza said this, now here's you and I. We're all out here at different points. We're all out here in the world. Here's me, here's you, here's my cousin Benny. <laughs> little movie reference there just in case you wanted to go back to the, the 80s and 90s. Now, notice what happens as God draws us to Himself. As we get closer to God, what also happens? We get closer to one another. 
and around God forms the church. It's the plural of Christian. We are all forming the church together. So as we get closer to God, we also get close to other people. But if we say this, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. As we move away from other people, notice what also happens. We move away from God. The two go hand in hand. Jesus and his two great commands say you can't separate love for God and love for other people. As we move away from other people, we also move away from God. So we're all in this boat, and maybe I'm just up here in the coxswain seat. And so I say to you today, get in the boat. Pick up an oar and start rowing. Let's do the same thing. Let's all pull in unison. Now, we're going to do that in different ways, but we have this unity of purpose and a diversity of execution. But we are called as a church to glorify God, to follow Jesus, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's get in the boat and let's start moving. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.